too much um, um action. It's almost unavoidable. It's uh, uh, unavoidable. Unavoidable. Uh, unavoidable. <laughs> Welcome to the show. This is my show. Thanks for tuning in. Here it comes again. whatever else is going on the work you have to get done or whatever sometimes right. you need noise you need music playing you need a yeah. podcast playing you need to have a conversation or have the tv on in the background mm -hmm. at least that's my maybe, take on maybe it. in the conversational situation where someone is saying something to you you don't want to just sit there and have nothing coming out of your mouth so you just uh, uh, well, uh, uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that actually makes a ton of sense too anyway let's get started i am with sam thompson today Hello. sam I interrupted your hello. What is your age and what do you currently do for a living? All right. So I'm 32 years old. I will be 33 in September. I uh, am about to embark on a new job where I will be the director of e-commerce for a merchandising company called Downright Merch nice. based in uh, Methune, Massachusetts, which is just like a think like Denton area to Dallas okay. to Boston, you know? Sure. So that's what I do professionally it's really cool it's kind of the culmination of a lot of years of doing merch and and touring and all that kind of good stuff yeah uh but then creatively i also run buzzkill blogs which is i love writing i have for years but this is a way for me to put my writing out there to the world express myself creatively which i think is an extremely important thing Definitely. and it's kind of like a labor of love for me it's taken me i think almost too long to get to a point where i'm doing something like that so i'm glad that i've had the weird last year and a half that the rest of the world has experienced because mm -hmm. it gave me that opportunity to finally commit and pursue that kind of stuff yeah so yeah and if you have an opinion on that specifically it's relatable to the entire world pretty much because we've all kind of gone through everybody's gone through shit in the last year and wait, can I curse on this one? I just want to make sure. You can curse as much as you want. Okay, cool. Because I, I am a sailor and I cannot control that shit. So, um, there's our dreaded um word. Don't think about it too much. My, my, I shouldn't have said anything. You're all good, my guy. <laughs> the thing with COVID is I don't give a shit who you are. You went through a traumatic experience last year. The world shutting down like it did and all of us being restricted from freedom of motion and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's traumatic. It just mm -hmm. is. So uh, as a country, as a world, we, we all went through some shit. And I think a lot of people got depressed. A lot of people got down. I know I did at certain points, but my COVID was a roller coaster. It started off, I was in probably one of the best places I've ever been in my entire life, just generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Crashed hard. By the end of the year last year, I was moving back into my dad's house and not working and losing a, I wouldn't say a relationship, but a romantic entanglement that i was mm -hmm. enjoying and you yeah. know sad to see go and you know so i fell on my face and usually any of us would have to immediately jump back into life right you lose your job you got to get a new job right mm -hmm. you can't just sit on your butt and do nothing covid gave me an opportunity because of the fat unemployment to say hey i'm gonna take a big step back from my life i'm gonna like reassess myself a little bit put some work into me do things that I'm interested in and passionate about, and then go from there. 
you know and 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 so i'm i'm grateful in a way for it but it did suck right. <laughs> like it, there's no way to put i mean dude when was the last time you went to a metal show a long time for me there you go probably pre-covid and then it takes away from your ability to go if you wanted to and now you're like shit dude it's been like three fucking years or however long you know, i'm yeah. not not trying to speculate on that but you know to me i i miss that shit i miss sweating being like pressed up against other people and you know slamming shots at the bar and then going and kicking some dude in the head in the mosh pit and yeah and not being so self-conscious of or overly conscious about touching someone or seeing what they're touching and absolutely i mean it is kind of gross when someone picks their nose and <laughs> touches grabs the pen to sign their name when they're closing out their tab and then i'm much more aware of that now oh absolutely i think i'm hoping anyway that a lesson is learned by a lot of people i actually like the mask thing i like the mask thing honestly partially for health reasons partially for anonymity it's kind of nice to be out in public and no one really know exactly what you look like <laughs> yeah there's way too many cameras these days taking photos and videos of us that we don't want yeah. or wouldn't consent to if we knew it was going on, right? So the mask is cool for that reason. But also people's gross children who are like, you know, coughing and sneezing and, <laughs> you know, spitting all over the place. Who yes. will run up to you and like touch you? It's like, yo, ho, ho, ho you know? <laughs> or, or yeah, being at a bar where people are getting drunk so they're not thinking to wash their hands after they pissed or whatever it might be. Like, mm -hmm. gross. But I at least have this one layer of protection, yeah, and I'm right. gonna wash my hands. And thank God, there's hand sanitizer everywhere these days. You know, yeah. So, like in restrooms, uh, I mean, there's fecal matter everywhere, right? There's fecal matter in right. the air and stuff. So right. when I go into restrooms, I usually I have the neck shield thing, so I can pick, pick the it gator, up. right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. The, those styles, I guess. I'll I'll use that happily to go into a restroom. I do it at work. I'm in construction, so I go into porta potties all the time. So. That's gross as it is. Stinks in there. You know, it doesn't block out all the smell, but it's not directly going into my nose. So I enjoy that part of it. A layer of filter helps in those situations. Yes. I mean, dude, I'm pulling the shirt up over my nose. Yes. Pre-COVID, now it's like, oh, I have this little thing that I can just <laughs> cover my face with it. Nobody will know. Yeah. yeah no one's going to judge you. Because no, not at all. We went to... What was it? Torchies last night. Yeah. Just got some food to Dank. go. And that's the, I think that's the first time I've seen an establishment that not a single person had a mask on anywhere. No employees or anything. I'm not, at this point, I'm not really judging. It's just, just observing who is still wearing, who's not wearing, who's enforcing, who's not enforcing. Seems very much more lax. Most places I go now. I mean, I've been going out and about. It's just what I've been doing. And it's interesting with different parts of town. And not mm -hmm. and when I say town, I mean the Metroplex in general, because I'm I'm staying in Fort Worth. So many friends are out here on the east side, Dallas, Carrollton, you know. You go out in Debellum, you go out in Lower Greenville, pretty much everybody's masked. Uh, Staff-wise, and they say please wear your mask at the door, but they don't really like harp on it. Yeah. And most of the patrons will politely wear it when they like, go to the restroom or go order for the mm -hmm. bar. But then you'll go to like a restaurant, you know, in downtown or something like that nobody's got it it's just the wild west again now it's it's like it used to be i guess yeah, for lack of right. a better term you know <laughs> so i like that it is returning to normal in a certain sense it doesn't scare me i actually i'll just tell you so i was living in los angeles last year mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit and la was still shut down until i think two months ago maybe yeah. three months ago yeah and that at first 
I was like, oh, thank you guys. You guys like care about our health and da 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 da. But then it became obvious that they were just like picking and choosing what stuff could be open and could not be. It was very. They would close a beach one day because people showed up the day before, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like nobody's there the next day. But but because people were there the day before, now this natural thing where we should be outside yes. and able to go do is closed now. Like okay, so then it got frustrating, and so I came back to Texas mad at shutdown. And I've been grateful to be in a place that has been a little bit more, it's weird to use this term in relation to Texas, but open-minded <laughs> <laughs> about, at least about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, I don't know. I, 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 I like it here. I've liked being here for the last six months or so. It's been really helpful for me, mm-hmm. just in general. So, How long did you live here before? So, here's a little Sam backstory for you. So, I was born in Oklahoma. Shawnee, Oklahoma, random little bumfuck town in the middle of nowhere. Six months later, my family moved to Alaska. Okay. So, and that is where actually 90% of my family is from Alaska. Both of my brothers were born there. We lived there until I was almost 13. And then we moved to Texas then. So I did middle school and high school in Crowley, South Fort Worth. Okay. Crowley sucks. Um, (laughs) There's a reason we're not there anymore. Anyway. After Crowley moved up to Fort Worth and basically lived in and around Fort Worth or West Arlington for, God, I moved out in 2008, 2007, and I lived in and around that area till about 2015. And then midway through 2015 uh, is when I moved to LA. And I lived in LA from 2015 until, uh, technically my lease ended only three weeks ago. <laughs> so technically I still live in, I lived in Los Angeles until three weeks ago, but I've been back in Texas since December for Christmas and January was when I went and picked up my crap and brought it all back here too. That sucks. Yeah. I don't know if I could live, I mean, maybe parts of California. Love visiting, mm-hmm. very much love visiting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just don't know. It'd have to be a certain area. The weather is just unmatchable. You can't beat it. It's amazing. You can't. You just have furniture outside without a care in the world because Absolutely. what rain is going to hit it? Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Things are going to get sun... St- is it sun-stained? You know, where yeah. they sun-faded yeah. long before they're going to get weathered by rain or wind or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, so Los Angeles, when I first went out there, I had purpose, okay? I had a job in the merch world a young up-and-coming company that is now massive, a company called Killer Merch, and they're connected with Jeffree Star Cosmetics, and that's kind of how mm. the whole company blew up because, I mean, you just type the guy's name into the Google, you know? Yeah. He, he, he's got a lot going on. So I went out there to help that company, and the first three or four years as that company was growing and we were all this, like, tight, awesome little family, it was awesome, you know? And I didn't think twice about how expensive everything was because I... I among other things, because I was just stoked on what I was doing. Flash forward to 2019, the shine started to wear off a little bit, you know. At work, in my personal life, just in general, I I think the fun started to wear off. Mm-hmm. I had a long honeymoon phase with Los Angeles, you know, like th- three, three, four years, right? Yeah. And then when the honeymoon phase ended, it was a pretty harsh reality. And I, I don't think I was happy there almost two years until I decided to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, professionally, personally, again, the whole nine yards, I was just unhappy. But LA is so cool, man. So it's like hard to like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. Screw that. Of course you want to be, you know, like, 
I don't know. Just it, go to the beach and think about it. You'll yeah. be okay. Well, the cool thing, you talk about the beach, the cool thing is you can snowboard and surf on the same day within two hours of one another if you make the right drive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's insane. That's cool. That's, that's really cool, cool to me. So vacation, baby, that's what that place is for. Yeah. It's it's great to vacation. I highly recommend anybody that gets a chance goes and visits and spends a little time there and at least sees San Francisco, L.A., and San Diego. Mm-hmm. Then get the hell out of there, man. <laughs> go 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 live somewhere else, you know, and yeah. then visit because it, it it's it's a cool place. It's just difficult to be in long term unless you really have something holding you there. Sure. So, and I really I really didn't at the end of the day. My family, all my friends, Texas, you know, professionally speaking, yo, know, I could literally go anywhere and and sling merch for bands if I needed to pick up some money or you know do the corporate side of it because I've done that too. So. Why the hell would I just, you know, stay in this place that's super expensive and then with COVID nothing exists anymore, so mm. I can't go to the clubs, I can't go to those cool bars, I can't go like eat at the dope restaurants and stuff like that that make LA great. So what the hell am I doing there? You know? Yeah. And it's funny how we'll ignore life's signs. Mm-hmm. Like I think my life was trying to tell me for a long time. My life, my actual like inner monologue was like, yo, you need to go. You need to get out of here. And I think for a really long time I was like, no. I am here. I live in Los Angeles. I'm never going back to Texas. Da, 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 you know? Yeah. So, um, but here I am. On to the next. Okay. Since you've mentioned that and you've done a lot of work around bands and stuff over the years, what is one thing music related or not music related that you enjoy most while working with bands? Oh, man. Well, I, I can actually answer that both ways. You know, music related. You get to see shows, man. I can't tell you how many events and festivals I willingly worked so that I could see the bands that were playing. Uh Um, I'm thinking of Aftershock 2016. Headliner was Tool, and it was like one of the first Tool shows in like a handful of years. His other band, Pucifer, opened. Meshuggah played. Korn played. Disturbed played. A whole laundry list of bands, right? And I was like, I want to work that. And I did, so I worked it, and the person that I knew who got me the gig, Brad, young lady named Carly Lee, hi Carly, um, she put me in the VIP merch booth. And the VIP merch booth was on top of a hill in between both of the stages. So I was working, watching each band trade off on the stage, you know, all the way through the night. And then by 8 p.m., just before the headliner, just before Tool would play, you don't have to sell anymore because they want everybody watching Tool. So then I'd just get to stand there and watch Tool, and I'm getting paid. I mean, I'm sorry, that's so freaking cool, right? Like, you're getting to experience, and I could list, like, I stood on stage during Black Sabbath's final North American performance. Like, I was off on the side watching that. Because <laughs> I, I sold t-shirts earlier in the day, and I had nothing going on when they were playing. Like, what the hell? So cool. That's awesome. Fulfilling those kind of desires, because who doesn't love live music, right? Who doesn't mm-hmm. enjoy that? So that's kind of... I think a combo hybrid of the question, you know, it's like, for me, I've, I got into that stuff because I suck at music. Like, I tried, I played bass for a few years, uh, piano lessons, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. I was terrible. Couldn't keep a rhythm, you know? Yeah. At least not with an instrument. I can do it all right with my voice, but that's beside the point. I couldn't be involved in this thing that I really wanted to be involved in, and that was music, Mm -hmm. you know? So, the next closest step was having friends who were in bands, and... Bands are little businesses. They have a lot more going on than just 
shredding on the guitar, slamping some drums and recording it. You know, there's so much that you as a band have to do in order to put yourself out there and get live shows and network and all that kind of stuff, sell merch, all that. Mm -hmm. So it became really easy to be like, yo, I will literally like carry your guitar equipment and sell some shirts for you guys. Yeah. And I did that off and on while working a real, air quotes, real job, right? For seven or eight, maybe nine years. And through that, I started to get local festival work with third string productions. And it's interesting, I wasn't actually working for them was working for the company that they hired to do merch. Okay. So that they started giving me local festival, you know, Unsilent Night and South by So What and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I worked, honestly, I worked for free for a handful of them because I didn't know to even ask for money. I was so, like, <laughs> honored to just, like, have this experience and the all-access pass. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's fucking cool. A little bit of power. Yeah, man, you can go anywhere. Nobody's going to fucking stop you, you know? Like, Sir, um, you can't be back here. Uh, 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 you know? And they'll let you bring a girl, too, if, you know, they, they won't even check her. It'll be like, she's with me. I've got the pass. Right, right. So I did that for a while, and then I got offered Warp Tour from that. Uh, Warp Tour 2015 for Sumerian Records. And that was a paying gig, and that was touring, and that was that's cool, dude. That's like the dream, right? Like, yeah. like, and I ask you that as a musician, right? Like, the dream would be to go town to town, play your fucking music, and fucking live the life. Mm-hmm. So I did that, except instead of playing music, I was slinging t-shirts, slinging hoodies, um, and really just trying to do my best, right? Part of the machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really In great. In a good way. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. A fun machine. It was like <laughs> yeah. a roller coaster of fun. Yeah. You know, and it was a work hard, play hard mentality. You had to be up at 8 a.m. and then be out in the sun for 12 hours. You know, finish up around 7 or 8 in the evening after you've packed everything up. But then you're at the venue for another like 7 or 8 hours. So naturally, we would all party. And yeah. so it was this... It was great. I thrived in that because I'm a psychopath, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it was it was an amazing experience for me. I learned a lot about myself uh, doing that. I learned a lot about like kind of the behind the scenes nature of the large scale touring industry. Because mm-hmm. up to that point, I'd been in vans with like 15 sweaty dudes, you know, sharing right. one van because we're all broke and not getting paid and yep. doing it for the love of the game, you know? Because you love it so much. Yep, yep, yep. So it was interesting to have a bunk and a bed and yeah. a moving toilet, you know? We didn't have to, like, stop to pee. You could just uh-huh. pee, you know? Yeah, not pee in a cup or something? Or correct, a glass. correct, yeah. Bottle. <laughs> Tons of piss bottles back in the day, I tell you That's what. disgusting. <laughs> There's surely a band out there called Piss Bottle, right? Oh, I think so. Hey, is there a band called Piss Bottle? That's, I'm, it makes me think of Black Dahlia Murder. Did you ever watch the Black Dahlia Murder uh, Majesty DVD? I think it was their first live DVD that they ever... First off, highly recommend that. Highly recommend all of Black Dahlia's uh, live all stuff. All of their they're, everything, they're, maybe? Absolutely, but they're live. They've done three, I think. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But the first one covers... The history as well as what they're doing currently. Mm. So you get about 30, 40 minutes where they are in like a tiny van. Yeah. Touring and doing all of that. And they talk about the piss bottle. And so that's where my mind immediately went. Like, (laughs) 
they have a story of somebody drinking from the piss bottle oh, okay. on accident, you know, like rolled over in the middle of the yeah. night and went to grab their water and just need. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Need grabbed something to yeah. sip on for a second, and you sipped on the yeah, oh, yeah the, the the golden chalice. Sip a piss. Yeah. <laughs> golden chalice. Oh, gross. I love that. All right. Well, now that we're starting to get back into touring and yes. such after COVID locked everything down. Mm. What are a few things you would personally suggest to local bands these days when it comes to touring or just doing a few shows on the road? Okay, so great question. I love that. I think one of the biggest things that bands don't realize is how much networking themselves is important outside of your band friends. Like, Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is you need to be able to please your own home audience before you can really go anywhere else. And it's cool to have the other bands want to watch your set. It's cool to have your like tight old friends that want to come and watch your set, but you want to have as many strangers wanting to come and watch you. So I think like kind of importantly before bands want to step on the road is you need to make sure you've taken care of home first and that your home audience loves you. Uh, it says a lot to management companies, to record labels, to people who can take your product and put it out there and help make you money if your hometown backs you up. So start at home. And I think the next thing after that is be aware of your image. Imagery is so important these days. Social media is king. And there are so many bands getting picked up and signed and and doing successful things based on look alone Mm -hmm. there i mean there's a lot especially in metal there's a lot of this band looks cool Mm -hmm. and great that they look cool but they write the most generic blase crap you know what i mean so if you're putting together a project that you're passionate about and the music is sounding really good make sure you're paying attention to how you look and how you put yourselves out there have some photos where you guys look like you're in a band together you know what I mean? Like when you're performing on stage, you don't want a dude in flip-flops and cargo shorts next to a guy who's in black skinny jeans and shirtless, you know, rocking out. The, the, yeah, the I'm things, definitely the cargo shorts and flip-flop guy. Be comfy, but you can do cargo <laughs> shorts the right way. That's that, that's something I never really... Uh, people mentioned it to me and I was more like, fuck off, I don't really care because I'm comfortable and I feel like, you know, maybe the music could speak for itself and that's a little too arrogant. But... Looking back on the photos, yes, I uh, any photos. Somebody just shared something the other day from my first band from forever ago, and I was the only one in shorts, and everyone else looked a little bit more, you know, like black shirt, jeans, and I'm, I have high socks and... Uh, Look like you're from SoCal. Camo shorts, <laughs> you know? And I think, oh, I, sh- I mean, I just never wear pants, unless I'm at work, and that's, that's part of the thing, too, I guess. I'll throw it out at you like this. That's not to say you can't be barefoot and in shorts, right? Mm-hmm. At all. It's just, if you're going to make that choice for yourself literally look at the dude next to you and be like okay this is his color scheme i'm just gonna line my color scheme up with him mm-hmm. and it can be that simplistic but if you have i'm thinking of i'm not gonna name names i was about to name some names i'm not trying to i don't want anybody to think i'm talking shit because i'm not but sure. just to cover my bases i'm thinking of a band local band you know them as well as i do and i remember seeing them one time and one guy was in a cutoff t-shirt and basketball shorts. The other guy looked like he just walked out of an office. Like we're talking khakis and a button down shirt. 
the bass player was in like a basketball jersey and had like jeans on and the other guitar player i don't he was dressed like a dude in a band uh-huh. the drummer is back there in almost nothing he's just in like short shorts and that's right. it drummers are a little different they can kind yeah, of get away yeah. with that kind of shit but when you put it all together it's like you have to close your eyes and be like oh this band is tight open your eyes and it's a chaotic mess up on the stage you know what i mean <laughs> yes, um so i th- i think that's a something and not just for like getting out and touring just in general as a band it's good business to think about your image and mm-hmm. think about how you actually look it's so vain and superficial and i think that's one of the most frustrating things about it because it's like you do want the music to speak for itself mm-hmm. but sometimes you need a speaker for that music to play out of and your image is that speaker for a lot of bands if that kind of makes sense you know yeah, sure. it's it uh, or a spotlight in a lot of ways people say that band looks cool i want to hear them then they're jamming the music then your music gets to speak for itself and that goes back to the whole, there's a lot of cool looking bands that suck, which is not exactly how I said it a minute ago, but that's exactly <laughs> how I feel about it. Um, <laughs> I think that's where a lot of those bands flame out really quick. They drop one or two albums sure. and then they just kind of disappear. And it's because they looked cool and had nothing going on sound wise. You know, if you can look cool and have a dope sound and reverse that, if you can have a dope sound and look cool, bro, that's, that's easy money right there. Yeah. I think another thing that's really important, I'll just do one more. I think another thing that's really important for bands is talk to other people in the industry that aren't in bands. What I mean by that is find out who the local manager or booker promoter is and get to know that person. You don't have to be friends with them, but you can have a nice professional relationship with a person and learn from them. Um, And I think bands are artists, they're creative types, Business is not necessarily the first thing that mm-hmm. they're thinking of. Um, so you got to learn. Because your alternative is you guys won't know shit. And then somebody who does know what they're doing might come in and could take advantage of you. Definitely, I've seen that way too many times. I've worked with enough managers who are really good at what they do. But they're really good about taking care of themselves, not, mm-hmm. their, not their artists. They take care of their artists because it helps them, not the other way around. If you don't know that as a band walking into it, you're going to get taken advantage of. It's just un- an unfortunate reality of mm. business and capitalism. So I think the benefit of having professional contacts with people inside of the industry that you don't necessarily work with or for, can I can't understate how important that is. There are tons of people in any major city in this country who are intimately involved in the music scene and the music industry and they're around. They're at all of the venues where you're playing shows. You know, their name sometimes is on the flyer because they booked the shit or whatever it might be. Get to know those people. You don't have to be best friends with them. Just get to know those folks. They're going to be really, really helpful. And if the bonus is they're thinking about your band when they're booking something next, that can be helpful for you. Oh, I've got this big band coming through. I'm going to fucking put Rusty's dope project that he's working on right now. I don't know what it is. Sorry. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to put that shit out there. You know what I mean? I'm going to yeah. put him front and center because I know Rusty. He's a good dude. And his music's fun and people come out, you know? So those three things, I'd say, make sure you take care of home and that you're networking outside of your little friends group. I would say, think about your image and how you guys look as a unit coming out to the public. And get to know the people around you that are doing music-related things that aren't necessarily in bands. I think those are like three really great steps that bands can take right now 
literally right now. You don't even have to go on the road to do those things. They'll help you get there though. Mm -hmm. So, so pause this podcast and go work on those really quick and then come back yeah. <laughs> for your next I lesson. want a full report uh, in, uh, <laughs> how's Monday sound? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Since we're still on bands and music, merchandise yeah. in, in that same respect of advice. You've dealt merch for bands and stuff for a while. Surely have some insight there to share for, we'll say, local bands. Yeah, so uh, first one is, uh, you're probably getting screwed on your prices. <laughs> it, just just straight up. Actually, I'm going to take one step backwards. I'm going to hype myself on this for a minute, and then I'll give some better Go advice. So if you're a band and you want to do merch, hit me up. My Instagram Sam underscore Buzzkill. Hit me up on Instagram. I will seriously give you more personal advice. I'll break down pricing and stuff like that for you. I've got a wealth of knowledge. I also have this wonderful job opportunity where I'm going to basically be running web stores for bands, bringing in new bands to do merch for. So if if you are a band and, or a creative person at all, if you're trying to brand yourself in some way and make merchandise, please hit me up. I'm happy to talk about that. More. I'm a nerd about it. I could talk for hours about it. So that's my personal hype. Some advice about merch. Most of the local mom and pop print shops are a one-size-fits-all pricing so that they can cover their bases mm. and really just make sure that they're not losing money, even if some of their projects might wind up costing them a little bit to do. They're making it up because they're charging $9 for a $1.50 print job, right? Mm -hmm. So don't just wake up one day and go, I have a sick design, I want a shirt, and find the closest printer. I would highly recommend researching. Dallas-Fort Worth alone has at least three pretty dope print shops. There's one in Fort Worth I'd recommend actually by name. It's called Printed Threads. I'm friends with the production manager there. The owners of that company are also tied together with people from Killer Merch in a way. Like they knew one another going way back. So I can vouch for them pretty well. They are slightly more costly. And I know I was just talking about don't get screwed by pricing. They're not screwing you. They're taking a hit on a lot of jobs because what they do compared to what other merch... God, I, I would have to explain so much. What they do is different than what a lot of other print shops do. That's the easiest way to put it yeah. um, without talking about it for an hour and a half and breaking down the difference between DTG and screen printing, which I could talk about that for a minute because I think it's important to know the difference. Sure. DTG, direct to garment. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's like you print it off a piece of paper and pretty much iron it on uh -huh. to yeah. the garment. You're putting the art design directly on the garment, fully fledged. It's fast. It's cheap. It falls off the shirt within like three washes. <laughs> it's 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 horrible. If a company is telling you they do DTG and they're charging you more than five bucks or so per shirt, they're screwing you. Just straight up. Okay. DTG should never be super expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. It should be the cheaper, easier option. It's for people who want to do... Uh, make it as you order instead of having stock merch. Yeah, uh, It's, okay, I have one order. I'm going to go print one shirt and send it out. DTG is a lot more friendly for you that way. Screen printing is so much better in so many ways. It's a layered process where you're layering the ink one on top mm, of it, right. each other. You can do a lot more detail. It's going to stick to the shirt. It's going to stay in the shirt. The ink, met the 
chemicals that they use within the ink and within the process itself basically sinks the image into the fabric instead of it sitting on top like direct-to-garment would be. Mm -hmm. Screen printing is much more an option for if you want to buy a set unit of shirts. They go in intervals of 36 times 2. So it starts at 36 is a base minimum order quantity for screen printing, most screen printing shops. 72, 144, 288. And then it goes in 500, so like 500,000, 1,500, okay? Nobody... No, I was gonna no say, local man, band so is cool to be yeah. to be at a place where I need a thousand of these shirts. Well, but so here's what's important to note about buying these in bulk with the screen printing. You can get it from DTG too, but it almost defeats the purpose. Like, I can't not recommend DTG enough. <laughs> don't if you can if you have a choice, don't go that route. Screen print your shit. Seventy two units might cost half the amount that 36 will mm -hmm. because they have to go through the process of burning the screens and setting everything up and that's long and tedious. If you make somebody do that for 36 shirts, they might have spent the amount of money they're going to charge you just on the labor to set that up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is the company making off of that? Basically nothing. But you go to 72, the price is half what it would be all costs are covered, and you got twice as many shirts for maybe the same exact price mm -hmm. that you would have paid for just 36. So that's something to keep in mind, I think, for bands as well, is it doesn't hurt to buy bulk. If you know you're going to sling some goddamn t-shirts, why not buy 144 units? Mm -hmm. Why not, you know? Uh, if you sell, put it to you like this, 144 shirts might cost about 750 total, right? That's with shipping, anything related to getting it into your hands. Let's just say right around 750. And that's a ballpark number. It can go up and down, but it's pretty close. You got 144 shirts. And you take that math, 4 to $5 a shirt, roughly, you sell it for 20 Think about the come up on that, yes. man. Okay? Uh -huh. You only need to sell mm, 38 shirts to make what you spent on it. And then you've got 106 shirts to sell at 20 bucks, mm -hmm. and then multiply that math out. You get $2,500, $2,300 profit. And all you got to do is just sell a shirt here, sell a shirt there, for accumulate it. And then boom, you got 2200 bucks to buy another round of shirts, have $1,500 left over, put that into recording, mastering, mixing, mm -hmm. packaging your music, whatever. So be smarter about how you order your merch. Uh, and don't do direct to garment. My best advice is is don't be afraid to, to order in bulk and try not to do DTG. And then don't just go with the guy down the street. He's probably really nice. <laughs> but like, and you know, you want to support local businesses, but sure. you want to make smart business decisions. You don't want merch that's going to fall apart on you. Because mm -hmm. it reflects bad on you yeah. immediately before the printing company. If I got a bad shirt from one band somewhere i'm not going to complain about local bands uh, it's just different like, yeah it is different when when you're talking scale like if i bought a black dolly murder shirt yes and it fell apart on for, me for or the 35 print just like 40 ripped off, yeah i'd be i'd be pissed at well you i would, would be. i would be pissed at their merch guy <laughs> the average average uh, yeah, joe. yeah but the average joe would be absolutely yeah absolutely and have every right to be by the way because that's all they know joe schmo off the street doesn't understand what you know, merchandise and marketing. He thinks these guys print crap. them in between shows. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other thing with merch that I would say, because I've had friends get into the merch game this way, 
get online. You can find a four-color screen print press for less than a grand and four-color process. So you could not do the most intricate, crazy design, but you could do four individual colors eventually layered mm -hmm. to get a pretty decent-looking thing, right? YouTube videos are free. I'm serious. I have friends who started in garages just with a four-color screen print press, and now one of them runs a actual print like warehouse, like wholesale with automatic presses that do 16 to 18 colors and like crazy nonsense like that, you know? Yeah. Guy just started in his garage. So just like, just how people start dicking around on the guitar, you know? They get the yeah. basics and then they kind of keep going and they get better and better and better. And then they're got hundreds of thousands of dollars wrapped up into that. <laughs> and it brings them joy and it brings them peace. Same with merch. You can do the same damn thing if you want to. Oh, yeah. What do you think sells more? besides t-shirts just out of curiosity shorts hats let me ask you this when you say sells more do you mean outright just on numbers sells the most or more of a, brings in the most money well i'm thinking more along the lines of what do you see people being drawn towards most okay, okay. Like shows yeah 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 so like hoodies mm -hmm. i i cannot tell you how Guilty. important it is to have a hoodie I also cannot tell you how much money you're going to make off that hoodie. I, uh, yes, I can. I'll tell you how much money you're going to make off that hoodie. That hoodie isn't going to cost more than 9 to $10 to make, period. And you're going to sell it for $45. That's $35 if profit for you Yeah. after cost of production is covered and all that kind of stuff, right? So think about that. You get a t-shirt that costs 5 bucks to make and it's $20. You're only getting 15 you got to basically sell two and a half shirts to get the same amount of money you're going to get off of one hoodie being sold. So, and they're popular. So that, that actually does answer the question as well. Cause it's, everybody wants a hoodie at some point in time. If you're doing anything outdoors, even if it's hot as shit, have a hoodie, believe it or not, people will show up to a warp tour and it's 103 degrees and they'll be like, do you guys have hoodies? They're thinking ahead. Yeah, they're thinking ahead. <laughs> they're also thinking, shit, I'm almost naked right now. And my body's going to get burnt if I don't cover it with something, yeah. you know, worth it to be hot. Just to not get burnt, you know? Yeah. Or it's a badass design. Which cannot be understated, man. You got you got cool artwork, people will buy that shit. They absolutely will. So hoodies a definite have a hoodie. Black hoodie pullover, simple band logo on the front. That's an eight dollar hoodie that's gonna bring you 35, 40 bucks a pop, basically. Yeah. Hats are tricky because I've noticed that what members of a band think is a cool hat rarely lines up with what their fans want out of a hat. And that's that's a disconnect that is frustrating. I appreciate it a lot as like a merch person, as somebody who thinks about these things. I really appreciate it when bands and artists allow me to kind of tell them what's good, like how you're asking me this question right now. Like, God, I wish every band would ask me that question. And then like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, <laughs> trust my answer instead of doubting me because right. with headwear... More than any other thing, a band will be like, I want this badass beanie, right? And they'll make it, 50 of them or some crap like that, put them online, they'll sell one of them. And then they get all frustrated, like, oh, we just got all these hats sitting there, and we'll put a dad hat online with the same damn design, but it's just a different kind of hat, sell out in five minutes, mm -hmm. you know? So headwear's tricky for that reason, but it's worthwhile because hats are cheap to make as well. They're like three to four dollars a pop to make, and you can sell them for twenty five or thirty bucks. Mm -hmm. So again, that tiered profit, you know, that uh, 
T-shirts are great. Everyone will buy T-shirts, and you should always have T-shirts. But it's worth it to look into hats, and it's worth it to look into hoodies. And seriously, just look in the audience and see what kind of hats the people watching you mm. are wearing. Be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Never would have thought of that. I, I, I know <laughs> so, it sounds crazy, but idea. you're standing on stage. And I know you're not going to be able to see all the way to the back because there's lights and stuff like that. But look at the people in the first few rows. You're going to see some hats. You're going to see, oh, dude, I just saw six chicks in black crop tops. Like, we're going to have a black crop top. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, why not? Yeah. So, uh, hats, hats, hoodies. I do also recommend thinking about genders other than your own. Mm-hmm. Women buy clothes, and they're different than guy clothes. Okay, yeah. and and uh, you know, or or non-binary trans people, whatever. I'm not trying to get too hung up on pronouns. It's just all inclusive from sure. Sam. Um, <laughs> it's important to cater to all of those different markets, you know, and body types. You know, have three or four two and three X shirts. Yeah. You don't need that many, but have a couple. You. You probably got a heavy set person who wants to listen to you, or somebody who prefers giant clothes. Like yes. I mean, those people exist too, you know. I've come around to that team lately. I used to be all tight and form fitting, and now I'm like, yo, give me XL, man. I'm a trying, loose. Yeah, I try to hide my shit right now. <laughs> trying to hide that beer gut. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, headwear, hoodies, and genders other than your own. I think those are those are three types of merch that i think any band would benefit from having regardless of size man this is a good podcast to hear from a local band perspective oh dude is that uh dod yeah yeah dude sick and you know what okay so i'm a slut for these classic green underbrim snapback hats to me these are fucking great the audience that you guys play to would wear a hat like this i think but i recall we sold a few few i recall I feel like I knew somebody who had one of these and wore it all the time. But either way, this is good. Also, the embroidery is good. Simple. Yeah, very simple. Our name's not on it, but... <laughs> you get around that, you put right here on the back right here, oh. real simple design of Destiny right there. Yep. It would add 15 cents a unit, maybe. Embroidery, it's weird because it's intricate and it can take time, but it isn't that expensive. So, uh, embroidery is cool as hell. I, I actually really like embroidery. If you want to do something that's really unique as a band... Get a shirt and do an embroidered little thing like in the pocket yeah. chest area or whatever. I think it's cool. That stuff's in vogue right now. I think Andrew just did that with his Unaleska. I think he of, did do that. I, I do think he did that. Um, which Unaleska and Andrew Patterson, if you as a local artist really want to see what I think is the correct way to go about marketing yourself, go pay attention to that guy. I think I think he does a damn He's good job. He's doing it all himself. He's doing it all himself. He's following a very good formula in doing it. Uh, he's getting a great response, at least from what I can see on the internet. It's got cool designs. The music's good, too. That's really important as well. I, th- I think he's doing a really damn good job. We were talking earlier about getting to know people that aren't necessarily band buddies, but he would be somebody, because he's doing so much of the business as well, mm-hmm. he would be a great person to have even just a professional relationship with but it's cool to like also like be homies with him because he's a pretty cool yeah. dude. You know what I mean? But you know, he pick his brain, uh, follow his shit on the on the socials. You know, yeah. this is for this is Make for sure anyone to fo- listening. Follow his stuff first and maybe comment on something. And yeah, yeah, give, don't, give don't it, flood give, him with messages just yet. <laughs> yeah, give it, give give it, give him some love. Oh yeah, comment, comment, and like. Pay attention to his, his what he's doing is kind of more of the point that I'm I'm getting at. You <laughs> right. know? Um, 
yeah, please don't bombard my friend. Uh, <laughs> just give him some love on the internet and watch what he's doing. <laughs> when I had John Tollipson here the other day, we were talking about people sending friend requests, you know, the usual. You accept it, band invite, slapping you right in the face immediately. I totally get it, but I don't... You want to know the right I way to do like it? it? In my opinion, <laughs> the right way to do it is not in the DM. Don't send that damn DM bands everywhere. Please don't. Add your friends... And then there's a really cool feature where you can just send an invite from your band's page to every single person you're friends with. There's no message involved. It will show up as a regular-ass notification for them. And, hey, man, half the people might ignore it, but you're going to have instantaneous followers just from doing that, and you're not going to annoy the piss out of people. I get the message. Like, I get typing out, like, you're so passionate about your project. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. But like getting in everyone's DMs to try and convince them to check out your band is not the right way to go about doing that. It just it just absolutely isn't. I think these social media apps are designed to connect you and what you're doing with other people. And they have great built-in features that take care of all of that for you. Use them the way they're supposed to be used. <laughs> Don't, it seems desperate. No one wants that. I mean, flip the perspective. As one person that would send something like that, do you like getting that kind of stuff? And if you're unsure about that, then, I mean, just take a second to think about what you're doing to someone else. Like, I get messages sometimes when I'm really busy with something, and then it, it makes me not want to look at it even more or not want to listen even more, but most of the time I do because I'm not an asshole. Right, right, right. But you know what I mean. I do actually know exactly what you mean. And that's actually really great. What you just said is really great advice, not just in music, but in life in general to anybody. Yo, flip the script for a second and ask the question, like, would you want to experience XYZ thing? Mm -hmm. Would you appreciate? Do you sit around and talk shit about other bands <laughs> who send you DMs about your their band? You know, like, come on now, come on. I was ranting about that in my solo podcast yesterday. Maybe in a work environment, if you're not doing your job very well, because you just don't care or you're lazy or whatever the case. If you are that person, when you go somewhere and you experience someone else not doing their job very well, does that not frustrate you and not make you just expect more of them when you're giving 40% at your <laughs> place of employment or, you know, relationship that you're in or whatever the case Absolutely. may be? Uh, I think it would help everyone to just kind of step out of your own skin for a minute and really picture yourself in someone else's shoes, especially interacting with you and think, am I maybe coming off a little harsh or being unreasonable or expecting too much or absolutely. I don't know. All right, let's move on. Moving on. Where are we going to go here? Where do we go from here? Where do I go? My best friend's dad, he said he was driving with his dad somewhere before forever ago. Okay. And that song came on guns and roses. Where do we go now? He, you know, he just says it over and over and over again. And uh, his dad was like, man, that boy needs a map. <laughs> Typical <laughs> dad. Ultimate dad joke. Guns N' Roses dad joke. That's like next level dad joke. I'm, I love that. That's good. <laughs> All right, Sam, are you ready to get deep a little bit? I love getting deep. It might be redundant to mention for people who have listened to the podcast before, but I still feel the need to highlight the fact that I like to make it a point to ask all of my guests about mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, trauma, etc. 
So do you, Sam, have any personal experiences or stories or lessons that you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, so we are about to get deep. I'll, <laughs> I'll preface this. I'll try and start light because it'll get pretty heavy. I've been seeing various therapists off and on for shit seven years at this point when usually most of the gaps have come because i've been touring which kind of hard to see a therapist like once a week when you're on yeah. the road plus you're usually doing things your therapist doesn't need to know about <laughs> um so what did you do last night uh you do not want to know what i did last night because i don't even remember what i did last night but to me therapy has been extremely extremely important in my life I'll talk in a little bit about it being a tool in tool bag. Mm -hmm. um, it's a whole concept I kind of live by, but I just think everyone should be in therapy. Everyone, even people who don't suffer from prolonged bouts of, of mental health issues of any type. Average Joes, I think, I think men especially need to be in therapy. I think the American society has done a disservice to our generation and the generation coming after us. Just talking about guys, straight up, I think we have a lot of weird like male privilege and shit like that that mm -hmm. we don't feel like we have, but we do have. And, and there's a lot of conflicting messages that we get about expressing our emotions and having emotions and having feelings. So I, th I just think it's healthy and helpful for anyone to have a person that is completely removed from their life that they can go and sit down with and talk to and get those things out. Mm -hmm. Your friends are not your therapist. Your girlfriend, boyfriend is not your therapist. Uh, your parents, your aunts, uncles, cousins, your siblings, they're not your therapist. And while they will be there for you and love you and take care of you, your support network is called that for a reason. Those are not the people that you need to be dumping the deep dark sh on. That's what therapists are for, to get that out so that then you can go to your support network and just relax and feel safe. You got it off your chest, and now you get to go be around people who love you, and you don't have to bog them down with the inner crap that's going on within you. Mm -hmm. So why have I seen a therapist? So I have, I was born with depression and anxiety, pretty much right out the gate. From a very young age, I know that I was struggling with anxiety as a child, and then as I got into my teens and the hormones started coming in, depression crept in there as well. I didn't do anything to take care of myself for a really long time. Uh, by the end of my teenage years, I was quite literally abusing heroin, among other drugs. I was self-medicating heavily, mm -hmm. daily. I was, God, I was tiny. I mean, I'm not a big dude, but I was like 105 pounds and this tall, six foot tall. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, good Lord, I, I look, I look like death, you know? And I wanted to die. I Straight up, I just did. I was depressed about various different things my childhood was good my family was good but there were one or two traumatic things that i went through as a kid moving from alaska to texas mm -hmm. actually being one of the biggest ones yeah. was i was almost 13 i was going into middle school think about that you get taken away from your childhood friends right at that point in time in your life and have to go to a place where you don't know anybody and you're feeling weird and insecure about your body to begin with but now you're a stranger you know, and everything's changing. And right. I, I was I messed with my head for a really long time. Um, Self-medicated, you know, uh, eventually after a few years. Well, eight, eight years ago, my younger brother passed away. He died of a heroin overdose, which I think is kind of ironic given my own history. But he'd been clean for nine months, relapsed one time. 
God. immediately. Yeah, it was. There was no. Yeah, it was. It was really, really tragic. It's a very heart wrenching thing to talk about. Um, and I don't. I don't like to bring people down by talking about it. Mm-hmm. But what's been interesting to me is how much that saved my life. Mm-hmm. I I got into therapy within six months of him passing away. I, my life is just totally different. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I, I'll, I'll drink some beers. I'll do some party drugs from time to time. Like I'm not, I'm not living this perfect, clean, um, you know, life. Mm-hmm. I'm a human being, okay. But man, I take care of my mind. I try to take care of my body. So like, even if I am doing those things, I'm working out. I'm maybe not eating as shitty. You know, oh man, I partied hard the last couple of days. I don't need to have fried food right now. Mm-hmm. Eat that kind of stuff, you know. Therapy again. I can't stop mentioning it. Super important. So. When I started going to therapy, I walked into it thinking depression and anxiety, okay? Because that's literally all the symptoms that I had. I would get panic attacks, you know, i get really depressed, all this kind of stuff. About a year into therapy, and I was also seeing a psychiatrist to get medicated. I felt like I needed some help there. And through working with the therapist and my psychiatrist at the same time, and really, they were really great. They were very diligent with me and didn't just slap me on a bunch of pills and call it a day. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get my diagnosis nailed down so that they could get my medication nailed down. They didn't want to over-medicate me. I mean, it was honestly like dream situation because there's a lot of horror stories about that stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I felt fortunate that I had the, the two doctors that I did have. But they came upon a diagnosis called cyclothymia. And nobody has ever fucking heard of that. So what is that? Cyclothymia is when you have a genetic predisposition for depression and anxiety, which I did, and something traumatic happens to you physically. So you smash your head on something. You abuse drugs and alcohol. You do something really bad to your head. And it kind of kicks your hypothalamus, which is the part that does a lot of the motion control it kicks it into a different gear where instead of just having some depression here and there with panic attacks every once in a while you kind of almost have mood swings similar to bipolar disorder mm-hmm. so i just when i heard the diagnosis and i researched it it just felt right um because for a handful of years up until i got that diagnosis and i started seeing my therapist i i had felt that I had felt like I would have super bad anxiety and then just swing into being super, super sad. And then I would swing into mania where I'm happy and like upbeat. And then I'd swing into anger and then I'd swing into anxiety again. And it did. It literally felt like a pendulum that just kept hitting weird shit mentally. So the interesting thing about cyclothymia is because there's, I think, only like five or 6,000 cases in the whole country. So very, very low diagnosis rate. Most people get diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had doctors since then try to be like, no, you're just bipolar. And I'm like, bro, put me on bipolar medication and watch how fucked up that shit makes me because I am not not bipolar (laughs) at all. (laughs) And I know from experience. But yeah, it's similar in a lot of regards. Bipolar is really fast. So like in a day, you might feel five or six different ways. Okay. Mm. Cyclothymia is a lot more prolonged. It's a long pendulum swing. So like you'll feel anxious for a few days. Then you'll feel fine for a few days. Then you'll get depressed. Then you'll feel fine again. 
then you're anxious again and you'll feel fine again then you're depressed again and it it's just this like slow and it, it's honestly it's exhausting i was um, gonna say it sounds exhausting it, it is it is um and because it's so little researched because there's so few diagnoses there's not really a i'm gonna say accredited medication regimen for that so the kind of conclusion that i came to with my doctors this was not just me waking up and deciding this one day this is talking to medical professionals was i'm going to have medication for when i need medication but i don't need it all the time so i have a little search line little zoloft very low milligram it's like 50 or 100 milligram like super super small dose and then i uh I don't have a full prescription right now because I, I don't have health insurance right now, but I also usually have Ativan, which is basically non-narcotic Xanax. Because I, I, you can't give me Xanax, man. I can't have narcotics. <laughs> At this stage of the game, after everything I've been through, sure. I, I can't I can't fuck around with it. Like when I have like any surgery or like anything like that, it's Tylenol and that's it because those, those pain pills will make me fucking yeah. go right off the edge again. But anyway, so I have those two things. And when I'm swinging, when I'm in a depressive state, I can take the Sertraline and the Zoloft. And because it's so low dose, it helps me, but I don't get dependent on it where sure. um, I have to take it every freaking day. Uh, Ativan's really cool because it's designed for panic attacks. And basically, it just kind of pulls you out of a panic attack, which I think everybody has experienced a panic attack. I, I, I think it's a thing that happens to the human body. In general, I, I don't think you have to have anxiety to get a panic attack. When you have anxiety, you get panic attacks all the fucking time or for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> right. It'll right. just pop up out of no, oh, shit, I had one too many cups of coffee. Now I'm going to have a heart attack <laughs> and cry for like six hours. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? It's like seriously like, just like that. But Ativan, when you start feeling the lungs clench and your heart racing faster and you know that that moment is building up inside, you can take an Ativan and 30, 40 minutes later, your body will calm down. You know, your mind might still be racing a little bit, but you, all those muscles and everything will relax. And honestly, when you're going through panic of any kind, if your body can stop being tense, it really helps you get through it mm -hmm. tremendously. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've i been on that regimen since, that was 20, 2014. So, and it's just interesting if you kind of look at the, arc of my life how much me starting to take care of my mental health lined up with what i consider the greatest successes in my life thus far quite literally even having a rough end of 2020 where i felt depressed and lost a lot of great things mm -hmm. i still feel better about the last six seven years since i started my mental health journey yeah. about the things that i've done and accomplished in my life mm -hmm. before that i was working in a damn bagel shop it broke as shit, didn't take care of my body, didn't take care of anything. It was just, I was going to be just another guy who hates his job and probably hates his wife and, you know, all that. Uh -huh. yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, has have nothing to be passionate about, you know, and gets to 40 and goes, oh, fuck, I've got like three kids that annoy the piss out of me and a fuck ton of debt and I've done nothing with my life. Oh yeah, you know, straight, straight up, I like, that was the direction that I was headed in. Yeah. Not taking care of myself mentally. Right. So the journey started with the therapy. The journey started with the, you know, medication and the medical advice and all of that. 
But the thing that I've been learning lately to kind of bring back something I referenced a minute ago is this concept of you as a human being being an empty toolbox. Okay. So you have to put tools in your toolbox in order for your toolbox to be effective. Otherwise, why the hell do you have your toolbox to begin with? AKA, if you're not adding things to your life to make it better, why are you fucking alive? And that's a brutal way to put it. But hey, man, you can't just go to therapy. You can't just be on medication. You got to creatively express yourself. You got to write some damn songs or sit down and type a blog. You've got to exercise. You need sunlight. You need socialization. These are all tools that you put in your toolbox to help you along the way. And you, the big lesson for me is that you can't just have one or two. The, the big recent lesson for me is you can't just have one or two tools. You know, a hammer and a screwdriver isn't going to fix every problem. You know, sometimes you've got to cut some pipe with a pipe cutter or sometimes you've got to, you know, use a wrench to really, you know, crank something home. You know, mm. you got to have more than one or two or three tools within you, within your life to help keep things balanced and to help you have like a positive, a more positive mentality and outlook on things. You just do. Sure. So. Makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably about as not dark as I can put it. <laughs> I can, Cause man, there are stories within that whole journey of some really dark shit, man. I, you know, when you start getting mixed up in drugs and street drugs and that lifestyle heavily, that complex trauma mm -hmm. it, it is and you see shit that people should not see you experience shit that people should not experience and you're doing it to yourself yeah you know um, that's interesting to see when you're messed up on whatever and you're seeing one of those things it might not even bother you in the moment but when you think about it later when you're sober and remember whoa i did see some crazy shit well i'll tell you a story I told you when we were hanging out last week, so this is obviously not recorded anywhere, but I told you that goofy story about doing ketamine on accident. Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to rehash that story because as a 32-year-old male, 32-year-old human, <laughs> I recognize that as, as fucked up, even if the guy didn't mean to do it, even if it was a complete harmless accident, really, truly. I mean, it fucked in my head. It like stayed there, and I've been thinking about it a little bit. So when I was a kid, 19, I think at the time, I come into my buddy's house and I just want to smoke some pot at that time. I was doing drugs and shit, but like I was there just to get high. Like we were just going to smoke some weed. And I walked to the house, they hand me the pipe, I boom, take a fucking rip and I'm zooted. I'm just in a completely different place, right? The next thing I know, I'm sitting on a chair, my head's all like slumped over, my tongue's like hanging out of my <laughs> mouth and I'm couch locked. Like I'm not, uh -huh. I'm not overdosing or anything like that i'm just really fucked up and i i remember being like what the fuck what the fuck and then the, some guy comes in another friend comes into the room and he kind of sees me and he's like what pipe did you use like th this one and he goes we were smoking pcp out of that pipe oh no at the time i thought that was funny right honestly and then i woke up the next day we were laughing about it but i look back on that that was traumatic that was fucked up and frankly, I'm fortunate that like I just decided to sit down and chill because like, right, dude, right. like I could have PCP. I mean, we've watched cops in the 90s. We know what people on PCP can do. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. More specifically, I knew some of these guys that were smoking that PCP, and I saw how they would act sometimes, and they would. They'd wild out. Those guys would be stupid. I'll just put it that way. I don't want to accidentally speak anything illegal more than the fact that I smoked PCP once. Sorry, everyone. Um, that's traumatic, though, mm -hmm. right? And that's a microcosm of being in drug culture, being submerged in that shit, you know? It's also interesting to note the difference between substance abuse and substance addiction because they're actually two different things very much. Addiction is a disease of choice. People can't... We'll talk about the hypothalamus again. It's also a decision-making center. Uh. So when you do drugs a lot, your hypothalamus breaks and doesn't allow you to make healthy choices for yourself. It literally, like, your own brain won't let you make the right choice, even if you know what the right choice is. So... People who have actual genuine addiction and overcome that shit, oh, chef's kiss, man, I can't. That That is, those people carry pain and weight with them every fucking day sure. because their brain is telling them to go do drugs pretty much constantly every waking moment. Abuse, totally different. You can walk away from abuse. Think of a dark time in your life where you drank too much. I mean, we've talked about that you know, privately before, and same for me. You go through those periods where... I call it partying, but like, you know, sometimes you're not actually partying. You're like masking some pain, you know, and, right. and drinking heavily or, or getting way too high, every, smoking way too much weed every day, you know. Then you wake up or, or come home from the bar one day and kind of look around at your life and go, oh, what am I doing? And then you take the break. That is not an addicted person. That's a person who abused substances for a little while. So it's interesting because I don't think that... I could have made that distinction unless I spent four years around addicts and abusers, mm. um, intimately being involved with them, being friends with them, staying with, living with some of them at certain points, you know? Yeah. I think as a, as a kid, especially with like the stigma around addiction and all that kind of stuff, I think as a kid, I, you know, you're a drug addict if you do drugs. It's not true. It's not, it's not how it is. And honestly, I think that kind of, teaching and attitude and behavior towards you do it once you're going to be hooked forever it's so dangerous because so many people will want to experiment everybody wants to experiment right but when you experiment with a voice in the back of your head that says you could get on this like this right you know and be hooked to it you're already at a disadvantage because you already feel like you're weak and inferior and you're going to succumb to this shit somewhere in the back of your head and I, I think a lot of people get lost that way because they're like, there's not a safe way to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Right. I think there should be, but that's a whole, I don't know why I just pivoted that way. Sorry. <laughs> just <laughs> fucking wild shit. <laughs> yeah. That's another rabbit hole we could go down. Uh, I started to for a minute there. My bad. That's okay. But they also tie together yes, for me very much so. Right, uh, right. Just from my experience. No, it, it totally makes sense. Like if we all had a place to you know, or a certain situation that we could jump into that we feel comfortable or around people that we're comfortable around or that we know care about us. And, you know, if you want to experience something bad enough and you had that safe place to do it, you might then realize I like it and I might have a problem <laughs> at some point or I didn't really care for it that much. Then that's that. And I think it's important to experiment a little bit. I, I won't dive into this rabbit hole too deep, but I will make a bold statement right now. I firmly believe that all drugs should be completely legalized, decriminalized, and regulated. All of them. And you should, if you're a fucking addict, if you're like a heroin addict, you should be able to go to a 
facility where you can sit down, have a clean needle, and a medical person nearby you to shoot your dope. I'm straight up. I know it sounds it like sounds crazy on its face, but the, there's so much nuance there. There's different situations that would rotate around different types of drugs, different types of people. You know, my reasoning for that is simple, and I I just use the like you know, being able to do drugs around medical professionals, which would be helpful to accidental overdoses and stuff. Right. But the more important reason why all drugs should be decriminalized and deregulated is it will kill the black market. It will probably... Eh, it'll it'll put a dent. Big, big dent, dent in it. Big, big dent in it. And I think, I think the black market aspect of drugs is almost worse than any of the rest of it because it's causing so much death and violence and pain. Mm-hmm. You also... And talk about like being able to safely experiment or whatever like literally last weekend in dallas there was a batch of cocaine that got into the fucking city that wasn't cocaine it was fentanyl and there was like five fentanyl overdoses in like a 24-hour period last week and it was all people who thought they were doing cocaine and they got fentanyl that only happens in the black market mm-hmm. hey, weed is legal in california where i was living right i could walk into that store it was clean it would break down scientifically what the hell I was buying. I, you know, if it was an edible, all ingredients listed. If it was a tincture, all ingredients listed. You knew what you were getting. Mm-hmm. You don't know on the street. You just don't. So I actually am way more of a proponent of it for that reason than I yeah, am for for safety. Yeah, yeah. It would it would war on drugs failed. You want to win the war on drugs, government? Legalize all the drugs. Yank the carpet right out from underneath all the fucked up shit that you don't like about the drugs by legalizing it. Straight up. The only thing that I've heard recently about that or to contend with that would be that it will be too expensive and people will try to get it cheaper from someone down the road if they can. Most likely. And I I can talk about weed. Uh, I haven't bought weed in Texas, so uh, the the story I'm about to tell is maybe hypothetical. It's way cheaper to buy weed here than in California. It just is. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it, and it is because there are no taxes, none whatsoever, because you're buying from a dude who's got a gun on the counter or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're walking into a man's house, you know, who's side hustling while he goes to work at Pizza Hut or some, sh- so he can pay his taxes and look legit on paper. Like seriously, it's it it's insane. Uh, for the same amount. The same amount of weed in California cost me twice as much. I'll just put it that way. And it's legal there. Yeah. So you're right. I think that that's actually a really... Convenience tax. It is. it's It is. But to me, it's worth it to not have the weight of... Of course. ...legal restriction on it. You yes. know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's almost like a... I'm happy to pay this little extra tax if it's what allows me to not get beat up by cops for having a grandma pot on me, you know? Like, yeah. Like that. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah. I don't think anybody should be arrested for something like that. Unless you have maybe a trunk full of stuff and you're, you have no proof of where it came from. So you can't verify that it's clean or what it actually is. And there's intent to distribute. I'm not going to say you should go to jail or have your whole life ruined. I'm just saying that's a different story than somebody just going to a friend's house or coming from a friend's house with, with, with something or I don't know. I think it's stupid at this point. I agree with you completely. Really quick on, I say really quick (laughs) depression, anxiety, From your perspective, Mm -hmm. when you say depression or that you felt depressed, Mm -hmm. could you describe 
in any way of how that feels or like a specific situation, maybe. Yeah, so depression as it manifests itself in me, I almost want to call it a wet blanket. Yeah, or even a wet towel, you know, something that isn't supposed to be wet, but when it is, it's heavy and it gets Mm -hmm. on top of you and it just kind of bogs you down, but not physically, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a mental bogging down. I know for me when I'm depressed, man, it's hard to describe like specific moments. It's more of like an overarching feeling that lasts for, I mean, sometimes I'm depressed for like two or three days. Sometimes that'll last for a month or two and it can really just make finding motivation difficult it can make social situations really hard for me if i'm in that bogged down mental place i know that i need to go be around people and not sit by myself but i'll go be around people and be so quiet just sit and observe or allow myself to get lost in my phone in a bar or at a Mm -hmm. concert where i should be focusing on so many other things you know and it saps me of my energy you know there's not enough coffee or or cocaine to get me, you know, energized to to get out of bed in the morning sometimes. There's a lot of crying. I I'm an easy crier, Rusty. So Is there anything that triggers that or is it just a overall thought? Some things. So some some one of the biggest triggers is probably the most obvious one and it's thoughts of my brother. Sure. Which let, let me be real. Every fucking day I get hit with that shit. At, at random times, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not something that just sits on me all day long, but talking about him or having a memory pop up. I was I was sitting on the couch literally two days ago and some photos from 10 years ago where like he came with me to hang out with the lizard professor guys and shit like that. There's all these photos from that night and that got me uh, crying, sure. you know what I mean? And it it's like weird because I was like, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I wish my brother was here. But also, I'm like so grateful that I have, you know, so it's also like a gratitude, sad, saditude, gratitude, you know, whatever <laughs> I'm trying to say. But um, yeah, there are definitely triggers. Brother being one. My brother's also not the only person really. Cl- I've been unfortunate to have experienced a lot of death. Um, one of my, the guy who got me into merch, a guy named Jace Dallas from here, from around Dallas. He got me into that. He died of a heroin overdose three years ago. Um, similar situation. My brother got clean for like nine months and had a bad day and relapsed and so it overdid like it. Yeah, happens a lot. It happens a lot. It, it you're far more likely to die from relapsing than from getting addicted to the drug in the first place. It's so so tragic. Last summer, we, in the span of seven days, I had a friend smash into a retaining wall on his motorcycle and die instantly on his way to come hang out with me. Oh. And then a week later, um, a lot of people are familiar with Riley Gale and Power Trip and what happened there. Uh, I, I wouldn't say Riley was a close personal friend, but I'd known Riley for 16 years since he was in a band called Balls Out. So if you think you know old school fucking DFW hardcore and you don't know Balls Out, suck it because you don't. Um, <laughs> anyway. That happened in a week of one another, right? A lot of fucking tragic shit, you know? So, dude, sometimes even just jamming Power Trip can get me choked up sometimes because yeah, I think sure. about that shit. My little brother, I have another younger brother, and he's like the golden child. Like, he's 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 doing good. I love that guy. His yeah. name's Quinn. Um, he's actually got a band called Burning 666. Check them out. They just dropped an EP on SoundCloud like two days ago. So, nice. stoked for him. Um, but anyway, he... Uh, 
viewed Riley as like a mentor, like a big brother, like Riley and him were very close, you know? So watching my brother who has been fortunate to not really experience much death since our brother passed, you know, experience that while also grieving about it myself, while also having another friend who just died and having to like, dude, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so just thoughts of death in general can kind of really be overwhelming to me and not about like dying or like ending my life or anything like that. Like just thinking about people like close to me dying. I'm so, I'm so afraid I'm going to be the last one left. <laughs> oh my gosh. And actually I just almost got choked up saying that right now. Um, I know it's a funny thing to say. It's a, it's a funny statement, my guy. Like, trust right. me, it is. But I'm that's... laughing too because I could relate in a way. It's it's I could flip flop between that and thinking that I'm just going to be gone tomorrow, and that how much Fair. that would suck. Fair, and that would that that would suck in a completely different way. But I far more worry that I am going to be this old stubborn man who has lost everyone around him. Right, and it just it's such a big fear for me. I think because of the trauma of losing all my friends when I was 13 and then losing my brother when I was like 24. And I think those two things really put that fear in me. So yeah, I, that thought will trigger me real hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and then from there, I mean, random shit, random shit always seems to be the most weird trigger because it'll be an unrelated something that makes me think about something else. And then suddenly I'm in that like downward spiral of sadness. And it's just like, what the fuck, bro? Like the mind, the human mind is the inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Patrick star quote. How about that? <laughs> so talking about the brain. Yeah. If you were to think about something, think about a past event that makes you sad, makes you emotional, makes you cry. Isn't it strange how you can just think of something that puts you in such an emotional state that you lose control? Fuck yeah, it of is. Of what's going on, what you're thinking about. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. And you would think that in that same respect, you could in turn immediately think of something that overjoys you and you could, you should be able to pull yourself out of something, but it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. At least for most people. But, and I'm going to give... Everybody listening, and a tool for their tool bag. Mindfulness, man. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness. And being mindful is, I think, kind of conceptually a lot easier to say than to understand. Because mindfulness is truly being present in a moment. And when you're lost in your thoughts like that, you're not present. You're not, you're physically there, sure. But your mind is, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles and years away, you know, or weeks away or whatever, you know. So one of the i had a great therapist in los angeles god be, the best therapist that i've ever had i've had i think four at this point her name was patricia she was amazing at mindfulness she was really good about teaching it and helping you get it put it into practice right. so one of the easiest ways to pull yourself out of those crazy thoughts when you're having the downward mental spiral and you're overthinking everything and those cloudy things are just killing you and you can't get out of it is breathing mm. take some breaths if you feel tense if you feel anxious worked up if you feel sad if you any of that close your eyes breathe in and out do it for about a minute or two max 
Anybody who's got an Apple Watch, apparently you can set a breathe timer on there where it will block all of your incoming uh, like messages and uh. shit for one whole minute so that you can sit there and breathe. And I think that's honestly brilliant, but yeah. it'll help anyone who's like, I don't know if I can like get started on that. Yo, use your Apple Watch if you got one. It's literally a built-in feature of the damn thing, you know? But for those of you who don't have that and are just literally trying to think of a way to be more mindful and be more present and get out of a funky headspace, your breath is your best friend. And it will really help recenter you. I think it's four or five deep breaths can literally reset everything going on inside of your body. I believe it. You know, loosen up your muscles, slow your heart rate down, that kind of stuff. I and mean, obviously, it's not going to like reboot your computer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But and yeah. Also, if you're not like intensely angered and you're just like, oh, it didn't work. <laughs> and you make a great point there. It is not those quick, rapid breaths. In fact, if you're feeling quick and rapid, if you're feeling hyped up, make your breath as much the opposite of that as possible. To count, count five in count eight out so five seconds breathing in maybe hold it for a second or two and then eight seconds out breathing out longer than you breathe in also helps calm you down it loosens your diaphragm it helps you just in general feel better physiologically but it'll help calm your mind down and, and that's a you, great point that you made no that's it, it was just, oh, if you're focusing on your breath you're less likely to focus on the other shit that's going on in your head correct so that's that's correct. the key and you're and you're present Yes. Because you cannot be present thinking about your breath because you do that subconsciously, right? We all just breathe, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're taking the time to think about your breath, you are taking the time to put yourself back where you are yeah. physically. And that helps calm the mind a lot. It really does. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Of course. Because you saved me from saying it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I was going to ask is, if you have any sort of meditation rituals or if you've meditated before, if you have anything like that. Great question. Um, because meditating is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just is. So I'm not very religious. I'm a little spiritual, you know. I, I Basically, I don't know what's out there bigger than us, but I do know that we're here and I you know, care about the planet and the people around me and my and my life and my health, you know. So I don't default towards like meditation prayer like that kind of stuff because it doesn't really line up with my own personal views but meditating praying that is that is that is literal mindfulness it, it is literally the practice of doing that just like with a little you know religious flavor to it and i think for people who are far more spiritual and uh religiously oriented or faith oriented man that's probably a better way to put it faith oriented than i am I think meditation is a gr meditation and prayer are two great tools to help uh, soothe the mind, calm the brain down, calm the body down. I think it's important to take time to reflect and take time to breathe. So uh, yeah, when I'm when I'm being mindful and breathing, I'm meditating. You know, that's yep. that's what I'm doing. I'm meditating for me on the present moment. What's around me? My favorite thing to do when I'm really feeling like fucked up, anxious. This is great for anxiety more than depression. So if you're ever feeling anxious and you can't calm down, you feel really tense, start listing the shit around you. Black bass guitar, crown royal bag, picture of a band, rusty in a black shirt. There's a computer that's on over there. There's a monitor that's off right there. List Literally, it sounds so silly. Keep going down the list until you... The wall is blue. The floor is wood. 
keep going until you're you start laughing at how silly it is, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. when you start doing that, you're tense and you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> sky's blue, fucking, you know, <laughs> walls blue, like. Uh, but as you keep listing it deliberately, you're forcing your head out of those bad thoughts. You're forcing that anxiety to go away and be replaced with something obvious like where you are and once again Mm -hmm. you get to be present in the moment when you're naming all of these things and you're acting that out you are enacting mindfulness because you just realize that you're anxious and you need to do something about it instead of just swimming in that anxiety and not knowing nailed it how to get out correct that's no that's exactly right that's that's where what i've noticed more and more over the years is being you know i've uh, always say it, which some people might have experienced it, and hopefully many have not. But I've internal anger issues that are present more than I like care to admit in my head, and they don't manifest physically as much as they used to. Told you about my the door, the door. We'll just say um, the door. You guys get to not know what that is, <laughs> unless you've been uh, there. <laughs> but noticing it so much faster, the 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 intense just mm. rise of frustration. And then almost an immediate realization of calm down. It's almost like I have to shut everything off. I did it to my dad the other day. <laughs> we were doing something at work and I was getting frustrated because I was on a machine trying to figure out the controls because mm-hmm. it seems not backwards than what I'm normally used to, but there was like a little bit of latency. There's lag in I'm going right and it's not doing what it's supposed to. Oh yeah, it is. And it, it was just throwing me off. And as it's throwing me off, he thinks I'm not following his instructions. He's saying, you know, up and I'm, I try to go up and it's not working. And then I, I'm just like wiggling the joystick and it kind of starts going down. He goes, oh, no, up, up, you know, he's getting frustrated. I'm frustrated. And I had to just, I, he was just, he started raising his voice and I just looked down and I just put my hands out and said, stop, stop, stop. Let me fucking figure this out really quick. So I'm not frustrated with myself and I will be less frustrated with you. I, I have to stop what's happening. Otherwise, I'm going to lose control, and I'm going to get pissed off for no fucking reason. And then there's an argument or some shit like that. Yeah, Yeah. it's not worth it. Let me me ask you this. I know the questions are supposed to come my way, but I struggle with that kind of shit, too, where uh, something will be happening in the immediate moment. I start getting hyped up, right? So that one was great. The example that you just gave, that story about you and your dad, um, because you were able to stop it in the moment. But the question I want to ask you is, do you find yourself having to walk away from situations sometimes to get the mind right so you can go back and approach yes. the situation. Yeah. Because for me, I, I oftentimes struggle with the immediate moment so much so that I have to walk away yeah, a, sure. a lot and, and, and really calm myself down before I can come back and have the conversation or finish the task or like whatever it you might You have be. to collect your thoughts. You have to calm yourself down. You have to be on the same page with yourself before you can tackle the situation with someone else, if it involves someone else. Right, or tackle the project you're working on if it's by, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because okay. when you're frustrated, you don't make good decisions. No. So how can you expect no. to Emotional have a good conversation general. that's productive or resolve the situation when you're frustrated? You need absolutely. to calm down. It's honestly not good to make any kind of decision when you have any kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. I know that sure. sounds weird, but even good emotions can cloud your judgment. Definitely, you know. Um, so it's it's especially in big life decisions, it's important to try and have the calmest mind possible when you're thinking on these things and rationalizing about them and trying to come to a consensus about what you're going to do. Yeah, I also think 
that dudes like you and I sitting here and talking about this shit is super helpful, not just for the two of us, but for anybody who might be listening. Because I, th- this goes back to what I was talking about kind of earlier in this conversation where I think society has failed dudes a lot. Mm-hmm. I think, not to sound like immodest, but two cool dudes like sitting down and having an earnest conversation about this shit that's a somewhat public conversation. I think that is just as helpful to society in general as as anything else might mm-hmm. be. I, th- I think it helps break down the stigma a lot because there's a really fucked up stigma around mental health and, and depression and anxiety, especially with men. Yeah, you know? I can totally picture just, I can't think of anybody specific, so I'm not trying to call anybody out for any reason, but I can see some types of gentlemen that would hear this and just think fucking pussies or whatever. Yeah. And cool. What, how how do you feel internally daily? You know, do you, do you really, it's like walking around with pain all the time or something and you just get used to it. Just like me and my freaking back pain. I'm, you know, I, I manage what I can. I don't take anything as, as least as possible because I want to be able to fix it on my own and not have to depend on anything exterior. But I walk around and I get used to that. And I'm wondering in the same token, are, are you genuinely happy and content with your entire life and everything in your entire life? enough that you genuinely think these guys are fucking pussies for having to do something to manage their emotions projection and that's that's a thing you'll run into with a lot of people who respond negatively to positive things that you're doing Mm -hmm. they are usually projecting something about themselves Mm -hmm. you know if it's as a musician you're probably way too familiar with the uh the jealous musicians around, you know what I mean? Who just talk shit, you know, and it sounds like nothing ever makes them happy. I was, uh, I won't mention specific names, but we have a good drummer friend who's doing rad shit right now. And he tells this story of being around some fairly prominent musicians that, at least in the metal community that we would know. And he Mm -hmm. tells this story of, they basically talk shit about Every band, except their own, of course. Yeah. Right? But the things that they talk shit about these other bands for are literally the things that they're putting in their own music. So so he's 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 telling me that he's having this dissonance in his own brain because he's like, you're talking shit about a part that we just basically recorded a different version of in the studio, like five minutes. You know, you're like saying this band sucks for doing this. And then you're walking in the studio and doing this. Yeah, but we're doing it better. We're doing it better. Blah, blah, blah. No, we don't sound like that. Like we're, no, blah, blah, blah. You know? And it's just like, really? What does it help? Where's, where's, I, mean, I think, the... it, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think it means that the guys who are walking in to the studio after talking shit about a part and then putting that part down, I think they're talking shit about that part because they know that their shit is the same. Th- like it's so that's what I'm saying. It's a projection. They mm-hmm. the other band is innocent in this completely. They yeah, don't right. even exist. They're just like not you know. They're just making music. And these guys are sitting here ripping them a new asshole and then basically ripping them off. You know. And the reason they're complaining so much is because they're insecure about the fact that they can't be creative enough to do something different or whatever it might be. I don't I don't know these guys, so I I, I can't speak to what they're actually feeling. But it's a projection of some kind. It has, it has absolutely nothing to do with that other band. It's absolutely nothing to do with our drummer friend. It has to do with these guys' own insecurities. So a guy 
who would listen to this podcast and be like, you fucking pussies. Like, cool. First off, I guarantee you I could probably kick your face in. So, like, <laughs> just on that level, if you think I'm a pussy, come say that shit to my face. Like, yeah, I, right. I, I don't even mean to mince words. Like, like I will go with you, man. Not you, Rusty. I love you, man. I'm not going to fucking fight you. Plus, you're actually scary. I think you probably fucked me up pretty good. You got dad strength. Oh, I don't know how to fight. I know you don't know how to fight, but you big. Fought since I was in second grade you, or you, you, you big. You got strong man hands. I know, I know you know. I've always feared that, though, in, in all reality, just the whole anger thing that I was talking about. Yeah. I always feared getting in situations like that where I did fight somebody and just, I don't know what would happen. I don't know how how much that anger could actually physically fuel me into some sort of rage, like blind rage. I don't know. That does that would scare me. So I would try to avoid situations like that. I would get hot and I would put myself out there that maybe it could happen, but I never tried to push for anything like and that. I, and I'm damn sure similar. I'm not saying you are. <laughs> yeah, damn sure similar. I will say I had I had that moment and I actually had that moment pretty recently and it was pretty fucking scary, bro. I won't recount the whole story. In fact, anybody who wants to hear the story, it's on my blog. It's uh, called The Daryl Incident. I change everybody's names if I tell real stories because I yeah. don't want to... Sure. But anybody who knows where I was living and my situation, they, they know who this guy is. Anyway, me and him, we were talking about COVID being weird, making people do weird shit and you know how traumatic it was on the world. So we're stuck in a house together. We were roommates, right? By this point, we'd lived together for a long time and we started to butt heads before COVID. Then COVID happens and we're stuck in this house, already kind of button heads, uh, right? Uh. So he's actually the one that got to the like extreme anger, I'm gonna act on this part, okay? So, so he literally notices that I unplugged an unused mini refrigerator and flipped shit, dude. And when I say flipped shit, I mean he came into the house and he started cursing me out, dressing me down, calling me a piece of shit. Then he goes outside and as he's walking outside, all the windows in the house are open and I can hear him. And he's like talking shit about my family. He's like talking shit about my dead brother. All over an unplugged mini fridge. So I stepped outside and I didn't get in his face, but I was like, hey, bro, like, I can hear you. Please maybe zip it, you know? Like, I'm still trying to be cool at this point, even though I'm also like, fuck this guy. I'm like over his shit. But I, I don't want to fight. That's just not who I am. He's like heated, like up here, you know? And, we have some words back and forth. He says some more fucked up shit. And I step up to him and say, listen, man, where I come from and how I came up talking about all of my druggy friends and the fucked up hood rat shit that I used to get involved in, this would not fly. So either shut your fucking mouth or I'll fucking shut it for you, right? Then he shoves me and then I blew up, dude. He shoved me and I fucking lost my shit, dude. I caved his face in bad like broke his nose two black eyes forehead ripped open i dislocated his shoulder i like fucked him up really bad now i'm not trying to sit here and say like he didn't poke the bear and like push mm -hmm. me to a point where i was willing to do something like that but to this day i'm angry at myself for doing that to him now i'm not angry at, at my he deserved to get hurt right like, like <laughs> I have no feelings of remorse towards him. I got feelings of remorse towards myself. I exploded, you know? Mm -hmm. I, and that was a moment where I should not have said, shut your fucking mouth or I'll shut it for you. I should have walked away from that situation, you know what I mean? And so, like, even though, yes, he was pushing the buttons and all this kind of stuff, I didn't disconnect from that moment. And I have to mm -hmm. live with the fact that that's what happened between somebody I used to consider a really good friend, you know? Um, 
And I don't think he and I were going to be like best buddies after I moved out. I think that ship had sailed a long time ago, but we're damn sure never going to be in each other's lives again after this, mm-hmm. you know? And I reached out, I actually reached out to him when I was like kicking off my blog and I was, I knew I was going to write about that story. It's a fun read. I honestly recommend reading it. Like, I mean, it's a violent, violent story how, how his face got turned into ground beef. But uh, I knew I knew I was about to put it out there. And I knew even though I changed the homie's name, like, yeah, it was, it was a fucked up story. And he was probably not going to be happy that it was out there publicly. I can give a shit. My creative space. Mm-hmm. I did feel like I needed to say something to him. So it took me eight, almost nine months, eight or nine months after the incident itself. But I just sent him a text and I was like, hey, man, not trying to rekindle our friendship, not trying to like make things how they used to be. That's gone. But I, I am sorry for what I did to you. And I am sorry for my role in that whole thing. And his reaction was, fuck you. <laughs> his reaction was, I, you're a piece of shit. I can't believe you're going to write about this and put it out in public. Like you're, you're such a better writer than that. I can't believe you would have to fucking tell this story. And like, all this kind of just like, fuck you, bro. I just, you know, like, I mean, I would think that he would know you. I don't even know you that well, but I feel like you're not doing it for gossip and whatever. It's a relatable story. I'm sure that people could maybe apply it to something in their life. And I mean, I don't know. So that's literally the two purposes behind the blog really i'm not trying to talk shit about people i have experienced some wild shit with people so it's stories that i think need to be told just on the sheer interest level but within there especially a lot of the negative what i'm going to call negative i think an objective person who's not me would probably not call it negative my stories are i would hope entertaining and insightful but the kind of like negative interactions with people like fighting or whatever I write it from a perspective of what lessons can I learn and take away from it, you know? And the whole, I broke it into four parts. Part four, the whole thing is a reflection on where I fucked up in that situation, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I fucked up in that situation. I did. I absolutely did. He invited it. He had a role in it too. Absolutely. But this is not about him. This isn't his blog. This is mine, you know? So yeah, I want to put it out there to share the story, sure, but I really hope that people would take away that it's good to take a long, hard look at yourself, admit when you've been wrong and fucked up, and learn lessons, you know, become a better person. I think that's a, something that a lot of people could benefit from seeing from maybe a guy that they wouldn't expect to have gone through all this crap, you know what I right. mean? Like, we talk about imagery with bands and stuff earlier, yo. I mean, you see my social media, you know, I know how to put myself out there. Right. But it's like the fun and games and like cool shit. And like, you know, who am I hanging out with and what bar am I at? And like all this kind of stuff. Great. But if you just looked at that part of my life and thought, oh my God, this guy is so cool. Like he's done X, Y, Z. It would completely discount all the fucking hell that I've been through. Right. So uh, it's almost like a humility thing for me where it's just like, yo, like, yeah, my life is rad in a lot of ways, but my life has been terrible in a lot of ways. And some of it I've brought on myself. So, hey, the guy you see in front of you, or the you know the guy you're seeing on Instagram or whatever, like he went through some real shit, you know, and uh, and had to work really hard to be that cool dude, you know. And I want people to not be afraid of doing the hard work for themselves. I want people to not feel alone. You know, 
here's Sam living his life. It must be all, you know, sunshine, daisies and rainbows and all this kind of crap. And here I am struggling over here. It's like, right. bro, I'm, I'm struggling too. In my own way, you know, I, I'm, I'm a human being, man. We're all flawed and go through some fucked up shit, you know? So, you know, I try to put myself out there being blunt about my mental health and stuff like that. The reason I talk about this shit, the reason I talk about my brother dying, I would have this conversation with pretty much anybody. I'm not afraid to because I think it needs to happen. I think more people will feel comfortable having those difficult conversations on their own end when they hear somebody else doing it, you know? Yeah. That's why I mentioned it's important for you and I as men to have this kind of deep conversation because it can be helpful for other men. For other people in general, they can kind of look at what I've gone through and experienced and learned and hopefully take some guidance and some comfort out of knowing that they're not alone, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, like you said with the social media thing, if it looks like you're having a good time and you've got all your shit together, basically someone could see it as that and expect that that's just what it is. You could either judge someone by that by saying like, I probably had everything handed to him and all this kind of stuff. Yep. But I mean, think of 20 to 30 people you see on Instagram or Facebook. And how many of those people do you really think haven't experienced something traumatic, Precisely. something negative? Absolutely. Just like you have. Absolutely. I yeah, feel like people don't think about that whatsoever. No, they don't. Um, and dude, admittedly, I'm sitting here talking about all of this. I sometimes struggle to even think about like, I have, it's, I've, I've just like you were saying earlier, judged other bands like, ugh, you know, they should have done this or something. And then I have to reflect on my own absolutely. disgust and think, well, why do you actually feel that way? Do yeah. you really feel that way? Yeah. Like, well, not really. I, I wish I, I did that. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and you know, there's, there's that, there's the whole, sometimes you have those moments and you don't even realize it. And so you have to come back to it later, just on pure accident. You know what I mean? Like you, you might say something just offhand, right? Comes out of your mouth. You don't even think twice about it. And then, you know, you're laying in bed that night or maybe the next day and you're kind of just like, why the fuck did I say that? Like, why did I have to speak that out loud? Like, <laughs> why couldn't I just keep that one to myself, man? You know? Yeah. I had a realization somewhat recent that I would scroll through Facebook and I would see someone's videos, musician doing something. And sometimes I would, I found myself kind of shaking my head like, just, eh, it's not that great or just judging it more than I really needed to. And that's happened for a little while. And just one day it, it's kind of hit me that I was doing that. I seriously asked myself, why do you feel that way? And I, I still have no idea. I don't know if there was something that I just, I can't realize that I'm jealous of or something, but I found myself critiquing more than just appreciating or respecting that. So as a little slap on the wrist to myself, I told myself, what's one thing that I could offer to help improve what I'm seeing as I'm critiquing it? If I really think that something's not that good, what can I do to help? So I spent time recording a video on how to maybe improve a portion of playing in a way, and I felt it just kind of went away. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I don't even know why I said that. I. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just threw it out there as a as an example of me working on something just completely behind the scenes. Yeah. I, I'm, I didn't get anything out of it other than me just trying to understand myself and why I'm thinking certain things. And maybe if I'm critiquing something, maybe I should be offering some help instead of just critiquing and Absolutely. going on about my day judging people. Because it's because you're projecting, right? So going right. back to the whole projection thing, it's you know that wasn't again, it wasn't. Maybe they did need to do something, but the fact that it irked you so much is more of a projection on you mm -hmm. than it says anything about them, you know? Yeah. 
It's interesting. I, yeah. I still don't get it. But. Yeah. <laughs> Again, though. <laughs> but we, I try to spin the positive on it. Yeah, and you know, uh, also, I, I always feel like I keep coming back to this. The human mind is weird, bro. Like, yeah. it does. We don't understand, you know? Uh, I have uh, a couple more things, but let's do this rapid fire would you rather. I don't yes. know if you've heard. Just whatever comes to mind first. You're going to love this. Okay. <laughs> Dog or cat? Dog. Burger or salad? Burger. Cloudy or sunny? Mm, overcast. <laughs> I'll go for that. <laughs> Jumping jacks or push-ups? Oh, push-ups. That's that's a, that's a tricky one though. I I actually do both in my my like routine or whatever. Yep. So I like both of them, but I, push-ups I think are going to give you better results on things. Anyway, I would sorry. I would go for push-ups. Yeah. Sipping a beer or taking a shot? Beer. Writing or typing? Typing. Typing. I have two typewriters, and one of my favorite things to do to work on my writing is to clack on the keyboard. And I'm, I, let, the let me just diatribe on this for just oh, a second. Ahead. Okay, so that's something I learned from Hunter S. Thompson. He would practice typing by rewriting like the Great Gatsby and other like great literature works mm. on the typewriter so he could hear the music of the keys and like how the music of the keys wrote the story. And so I love the concept of that. Really and cool. and so it kind of, I don't do the copying of like already written works. I just do original kind of stream of consciousness crap on my typewriter, but I love that. And you can get in a rhythm and have the clack, 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 ding, clack, 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 you know, and like do like little beats and shit like that. And it's, I don't, I don't know, type, typing, <laughs> typing. Awesome. <laughs> I like that. Older music or newer music? Mm, newer music fly or drive drive reading or audiobook reading cold or hot cold ocean or pool pool sunset or sunrise set sunset movies or documentaries oh uh, do documentaries actually yeah Apples or oranges? Apples. I'm allergic to oranges. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. So um, citrus pulp makes my swell, and Whoa. yeah, and my throat. If I like have too much of it, so my no throat lime closes. in the beer. Oh, I, I. So that's what's funny. Booze almost kills it. So like, I can drink like a screwdriver. You put like vodka in like OJ. Yeah. It's the pulp itself. So like, okay. if I eat the pulp, yeah. that's what fucks me up. But if I just have like the juice or whatever, I can, I'm, I'm usually okay. Weird. Yeah, yeah. So apples, because they don't almost kill me. Um, All right, last one. Heads or tails? Heads. Tails. No. Oh, no. I like You're that. You're still though. a winner. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I feel like a champion in a way. What came to mind when I asked cold or hot? Oh, man. When you asked cold or hot, I actually thought about winter or summer. And I love summer. I love hanging out by the pool, getting tan, like that whole thing. Like, don't get it wrong. But growing up in Alaska, man, I have this really idyllic, nostalgic kind of storybook view of winter and mm. cold. So I immediately, yeah, I thought of winter, thought of snow, thought of being in like a winter wonderland, you know, yeah. basically that kind of thing. So that, that was, that's where my mind went. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to elaborate on or highlight before we approach the end here? So we've covered pretty much everything that I've got on my list. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I feel like I did a pretty good job, um, <laughs> you know, kind of going over what we what we talked about. I think 
to go back to the merch conversation for just a second, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to hype myself up one more time. Do it. Literally, if you're a band or a creative or if you fancy yourself an influencer, whatever the hell, if you have questions about merchandise, I am available to discuss that shit, guide you. If I can't be the one who puts your shit together for you and like, you know, if you and I can't work together, I can point you in the direction of some companies that might take care of you. I am probably going to be the most honest and blunt person you're going to, you're going to work with in a sense of I, I'm looking out for the bands and I'm looking out for the artists far more than a lot of these, you know, kind of management companies and these marketing companies are, they're all about a bottom line. I personally love making money. I don't need to make a goddamn penny. I get a lot of satisfaction from teaching, guiding, and showing people the way and letting them do their thing. Um, I take a lot of pride in that because I have a lot of knowledge and I think it's just stupid to sit on it. Sure. So, um, you know, if anybody listening has any any kind of questions like that, literally, you know, Sam Thompson on Facebook, Sam underscore Buzzkill on Instagram, reach out to me on either platform. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to it, at least point you in the right direction and give you some, you know, more detailed tidbits information. If I was to elaborate on anything else we talked about, this podcast would be like seven hours long. So I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 th- I think, yeah, I think we covered, covered the basis, you know, yeah. it's good. Talk, talk to someone. Yeah. Talk. Just like you said, not someone immediate that knows you talking to someone about your issues. It's hard to express how important and beneficial that is Absolutely. to get another perspective that that's not going to be biased towards you. Correct. On that note, I will give the little asterisk warning. It can be challenging to find a therapist and watch out for a therapist who validates everything that you say and Mm. do. Fortunately, not in my life, but unfortunately in some of my friends' lives, I have witnessed them find a therapist who just says, you're so great and you're doing everything right and and doesn't really challenge them to actually take long, hard looks at themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one example of many of things can, that can go wrong trying to find a therapist. And so I say all of that and I put that asterisk there because as important as it is that people do have somebody to reach out to and talk to and and you know if it's a therapist, counselor, whatever, as important as that is, it's really easy to get discouraged trying to find one. It can be a process. It can be pretty difficult to find one. And, and so I, I say all that because I just want people to be encouraged to not give up. Um, you really might have a little bit of a rough time finding somebody. You got to find somebody who's going to work for you. You got to find somebody who's going to work for you. I said that twice. I meant to say something else. uh, And I literally just with you. Yeah. Yeah. With you and for you is where (laughs) I was going with that. Thank you. And it's worth a little bit of time and a little bit of a painful feeling out process to get that decision. Right. Cause when you get it right, unlocks a lot of great doors for you. So don't give up. Don't give up looking. Just because you don't find immediate success. Don't give up at all. Yeah, I agree with that completely. All right, that's a great place to end. Sam, I really enjoyed this a lot. Dude, let's high five. Okay. Yes. Yes. No, I had a great time, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, thanks everyone for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Rusty's Escape Pod. Rusty's escape pod.